you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Irish eyes are smiling on Rory McIlroy as he gets a win in front of his partisan crowd in Ireland, while Jordan Spieth is unable to get the hometown victory in Dallas, struggling during the final round. And it was a momentous week in the game of golf, a lot of off-course stuff, including a pivotal vote at Muirfield. Welcome in to another edition of Monday Scramble. I'm Will Gray, joined by Mercer Bags and Nick Menta. We'll be joined in a little bit by uh, Jay Coffin. But first, boys, I want to get to you. Hope you had a good weekend. But what is one uh, big thing that you took away from this past weekend of the game of golf? Uh, it's what you just mentioned for me. It's I the situation. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm going to get there. It's the situation in Muirfield, okay. and and what that means for the RNA going forward, uh, especially as it relates to other venues that are still in the open rota, as far as we know. Mercer. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll stick in that continent, but I'll go with Rory, and say uh, what he was able to do in Ireland was very impressive. There was a lot of pressure that he put on himself. You could kind of sense it, especially afterwards when he talked about it. But just overall, being able to perform in that atmosphere and come through with the shots that he did, I think was very impressive, much needed at the time. And I uh, can't wait to see what happens going forward with McElroy's game. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It's a big response from McElroy to what Jason Day did at TPC Sawgrass yeah. to go in, in his National <laughs> Open, win a tournament that really, from his comments afterwards, you saw it, it meant a lot to him. His foundation sponsors the event, but it was a situation where we didn't realize how big of an event it was for him until after he's got the trophy in hand. said he was holding back tears at the end. There you go. You don't often get that sort of emotion from the young Ulsterman. But let's, let's bring in Jay Coffin from uh, beautiful Oregon. Jay, how you doing this morning? What's up, fellas? I'm doing good. Good to hear from you. So what was your take from, uh, from McElroy's victory uh, at the Irish Open and, more importantly, just that close? Those, those 270-yard fairway woods onto the green, that's pretty much right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you gave me three shots, there's there's just not a chance in hell that I could pull that off. And I don't even think that's particularly debatable. But it was great here in Oregon to be able to wake up and actually watch that, to watch every bit of that. And man, I, it's just criminal how good he is when when he is at his best and, and able to pull off those shots. And even there on 16, I mean, I, you know, he's standing over there, and I just thought, man, this is awesome. But I thought. Wouldn't he be better off just kind of laying up? Can't he make four just by hitting something up there about 150 yards and then wedging it to to kick in distance and make a four or two? But, you know, good for him for having the you-know-whats to pull that off under all that kind of pressure and really set the tone for those final two holes and then do it again on, on 18, which really was, wasn't quite as far, but it was no less impressive for sure. Yeah, why make a four when you can just make a three? Nice little tap-in eagle 
to close things out. But, Jay, I'm with you. This was kind of, a, you know, a note from, from McElroy to say, hey, boys, I'm still here. Those shots were the things that we saw him hit at Valhalla. That's what we saw him hit at Kiowa, Hoylake, all of these, these big major tournaments that he has won in convincing fashion where he pulls out shots that no one else really sees. I mean, Jason Day is probably on, on a similar wavelength in terms of being able to pull off those shots, but it was really an emphatic statement from McElroy as the summer just is about to get ready to be kicked off with a lot of big events coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Will, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I think you and I are on Team Rory. With oh, I was, the old, so, uh, I was know, so pumped for this. <laughs> with the Sorry, best is better. And, and I think, you know, you and I have done a lot of these podcasts over the last couple months and, and sit there on Monday and could not be more frustrated that he can't get his head out of his you-know-what because he's just – he couldn't – he's just – you know, one bad hole just leads to another bad hole, leads to another. And you and I are sitting there like, you are Rory McIlroy. You have done this for the last five or six years better than anybody else. You continue to do it. Why are you not doing it? Why did you do what you did at Doral? Why did you then say it again at Bay Hill? And then off to the Masters put all that pressure on you. Why are you doing these things? Like, it's been driving us crazy. It's been driving me crazy. And so, you know, he's been saying it's close, it's getting close, it's getting close, it's getting close. And, and yeah, I, I sort of tend to want to believe him, but it's been two months with him saying that, you know, it, it's eventually going to uh, sort itself out, but it never did. That's what was so great about this, because, no, it wasn't a major, but it is, it is his fifth major. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, we realized how much it meant to him afterwards when he was almost in tears. So to be able to do all of that, for us to see those Rory moments, those marquee, key signature Rory shots in that kind of a moment twice in three holes to win his National Open that he sponsors and all the whole, you know, all that together is just tremendous. Yeah, Jay, I agree with what you were saying just a little bit earlier. I was kind of waiting as I'm watching that waiting for Rory to kind of make these mistakes where he's got the five-footer for par and he misses and then he falls out of the lead and then that kind of snowballs and the next thing you know, maybe he shoots a 37, 38 on the front nine and he's just not able to pick it up. And it kind of looked like it might happen early on Sunday. Then you throw in the weather and Rory's not historically the greatest bad weather player. You had a lot of elements out there. I mean, you saw everything you could possibly see this past week in Ireland. So I was kind of waiting not for Rory to, to fold but to just kind of struggle a little bit and for somebody to surpass him. Nobody was able to do that. It looked like Russell Knox might be able to. I think well, Russell Knox got by him. Yes, it, really Knox did, and then, then on 16, everything changed. But uh, the Rory response that he didn't back down, he didn't have those, those struggles that knocked him out to where he could not recover, that was very impressive. What was so impressive to me, I guess as a counter maybe to Jason Day, because we're talking about you know, comparing Rory to other golfers, was how smooth those two swings at 16 and 18 looked. Right. He had 270-something yards and 250 yards. And he's not lashing at it. It didn't look like he was even swinging it 90%. It was this beautiful, smooth, groove swing. And he's putting on the putting surface, two putting for birdie on 16, gets it to kick in range at 18. It was amazing just how explosive he can be and yet how precise. You're right. Those three woods, they, they didn't look like the drive, like the drive he hit off of 18 where he kind of came out of it a little bit. Looked like there might be a little bit of trouble. But the, the three-wood swings were very, very very Clearly, he was, he, he's able to manipulate his yardages even with, with longer clubs. Yep. And so that's, that's probably what's most impressive about those two shots. So, Jay, we are in the business of rooting for stories, and midday Sunday <laughs> seemed like we had an excellent story brewing. You got Rory winning his home open, and then you got young Jordan Spieth in front of the home crowds in Dallas, 
just in second place, trailing Brooks Kepka, and you thought, all right, this is okay. He's, he doesn't quite have his A game, as he's been saying all week, but you thought he was going to be able to pull it out. And, uh, and then Spieth went and laid a big fat egg in the final round of the AT&T Byron Nelson. So uh, your thoughts on Spieth, who I think was the biggest storyline. Apologies to Kepka and Sergio, but Spieth's the biggest story coming out of Dallas this week. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, you're right. You're sitting here at sort of at midday, and there's no way that this wasn't going to happen, right? You know, after the play, there, it was just sort of one of those golf moments. It was just, it, it was just a, a perfect bounce back to what Jason Day did. It was Rory set the tone in the morning, and now oh, here comes Jordan at home too. And and it's you know, and I'm talking to Mercer. Mercer and I are emailing back and forth. Hey, what are we going to lead the site with later tonight? Is it going to be Spieth or Rory, or how do we package this together? And and how is this going to happen? And well, we all know that it just wasn't even really close to happening. And, you know, as frustrated as, you know, Will, that you and I have been with Rory, I, I've been equally as frustrated with Jordan for just, I don't want to say petulant because he, because he's not, but just sort of un, not even uninterested, but just he, he just has not found a way to get, get it together. I mean, Hawaii in January feels like it was two years ago and, and how great he looked there and how he just was on top of everything right out of the box. And now I was never foolish enough to think that it was that he was going to win, you know, seven times this year and it was going to rival last year, and I wasn't. But to sort of see this continual funk really, you know, for the last couple months is starting to, to bother me. So it's not a surprise that he didn't win because, like the Masters, he was telling us all week long he didn't have his stuff. I just thought that once Rory won in the morning, I thought the golf gods were just going to say, all right, it's time for number two and number three in the world to jump up and both win so we can head to Oakmont here in another couple of weeks and just have everything all raring to go for a big, fat showdown. You know, to me, Spieth said for three days that he wasn't playing his best golf, and nobody wanted to believe him because he was right there at the top of the leaderboard for three days. And, and finally that reared its head yesterday. Um, and this is sort of, I guess, uh, further evidence of what's happened all year with him. I think it's less the attitude. I know we, in, and even Spieth focused on it for three days. Like, I'm trying to maintain a sunnier disposition. I'm trying to get, you know, trying not to get so down on myself. But really, it, it's his iron play that is the story of his season. He's actually driving the ball better. I know, I know yesterday he had his troubles off the tee, but he's driving the ball better. But it, once he gets to the fairway, once he's trying to approach the green, this is where his game's falling apart. His numbers in terms of greens and regulation, ball striking, proximity to the hole, scrambling, are all down from last year. The driver's actually an improvement. The putting stats are, you know, arguably similar. But it's, it's that mid-range game for Jordan Spieth that's, that's causing all of these issues. So you can have your stats. and not, as, as you know, <laughs> I love stats. But I, I'm going to disagree. I think it's still somewhat in his head. I went back, did a little transcript autopsy. Yeah. And after, before, <laughs> before every round last week, he talked about wanting to have fun. He wanted to loosen up. And after every round, after every single competitive round, the word frustrated was in his transcript. I'm frustrated. This is frustrating. I can't. He can't get past it. He keeps going in, saying, all right, this is going to be different this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be cool speed, and I'm going to have fun. And then he, he hits a wayward shot, and he still responds like we saw him respond last year. And when you're winning tournaments, it's all, you know, it's acute idiosyncrasy. And when you're shooting a 74, it's like, why can't you just You You and out? I clearly disagree. So, Mercer, which is this? Is it a, is it a product of the attitude, or is is sort of a, a lesser game from Spieth this well, year compared to last year leading to the change. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with mental, the mental aspect. And I think for Spieth, it's just, it's in his nature to be emotional. 
And when things aren't going well, when you're not hitting the ball well, you have that two-way miss that he's got going on, it's going to rear his head in frustration. And I, he can talk all he wants to about going out and trying to have fun. But when it's just in your, you're, you're trying to change your nature. And you just, you can't do that. You can't say, I want to change my, I want to be a different person and just be a different person. It's not that easy. <laughs> You've got that inside you. And then when you go out there and play and it's not working, you're a little bit off on your irons, your chipping and putting isn't the same, you're just, it's going to come out. Yep. Like you said, before it was idiosyncratic and it was, it was just, you know, it was kind of cute and it was just part of his game and it was great when he was winning. And now, you know, there's some people looking at it and think, well, this, you know, he's being a little petulant out there. But, you know, and as Jay will attest, I'm not the most positive person. We got a lot of us going around this yeah. thing. But I actually look at the positives of what Spee's doing. If he can play this, strike the ball this poorly and still be in contention to win, and should have won the Masters, obviously, and could have, could have won this week, I think he's got to look at this in a positive light and say, listen, if I can just put a little couple of things together, then I've got a real good shot at winning at Oakmont. Jay, as we mentioned, Spieth was the big story at the Nelson, but he didn't actually win the golf tournament. Uh, it was actually Sergio Garcia that won in a one-hole playoff over Brooks Kepka. That whole the back nine turned into a bit of a pillow fight. No one really came to play. Yeah. You know, Kepka starts at the lead, still shoots a 71, and, and he almost wins the tournament before rinsing that shot on the first playoff hole. So I guess what are your thoughts on Sergio getting back into the winner's circle in the U.S. and Kepka coming up short? Well, um, it just happens to be a Ryder Cup year, doesn't it? <laughs> it would appear that way. Uh, and, and, and there's Sergio. There's, there's Sergio winning a golf tournament in a Ryder Cup year. I, it's not really necessarily what the Americans uh, want to see because, um, um, you know, Sergio, Sergio's dangerous in a, in a Ryder Cup when he's, you know, if he's played poorly the entire year. So to get a win under his belt, uh, have a little bit more pep in his step, uh, I think, um, you know, may not necessarily be good news for the Americans. You're right, it was. You know, look, I like to see people jump up and win tournaments, and, and this just this just didn't didn't happen. I mean, I, I thought it was kept. I almost I almost stopped watching um, there with you know four or five holes to go, and then you know, and I turn around and look back, and after I saw Kepka bogey those two in a row, I thought, well, okay, well, we need to uh, we need to pay a little bit more more attention here coming down the stretch, and and neither one uh, played great, like you mentioned, but it's still a pretty good. We all agree. Spieth was the headline, you know, all right, because he failed to get it done again, um, still hasn't won since why, all, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a 1B is still pretty good to have Sergio Garcia in a winner's circle again on the PGA Tour for first time in, in, in quite a long time. So all things considered, I will take it. Yeah, it was, as you mentioned, a bit of a curious finish. Kepka was up three shots with six holes to play before he kind of came undone. And Sergio uh, joins Adam Scott as the only player this year to win a tournament despite two water balls. In the final round, take that as a stat, Nick Mentor. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was just a weird a weird kind of finish there, Mercer. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta have somebody give you a tournament, and and you just you just take it. How often is Serge, how often has Sergio wanted someone to hand him a trophy? Right. Yeah, and, and it possibly, finally possibly a major trophy. It, it finally just gives happened me one. at the AT&T Byron. Yeah, so he gets his trophy. You know, you never know how this will will spin off. Maybe he'll gain a little confidence from it and be able to take it moving forward. And and you know, you know, Oakmont coming up, maybe he'll contend there. He's the, Obviously, still one of the best ball strikers in the world. You know, we'll, we'll see where this goes from here. But uh, I don't know how much you can glean from it because it was given to him. You know, he hit two water balls on the back nine. This was obviously, you know, more of Kepka's loss than Sergio's win. But you could tell 
after he won, you know, the excitement that was on his face, there was some emotion that was emoted. Uh, you know, so you could, you could see that this was a big victory for him to finally win what's the first time in four years that yep. he's won on yeah. the PGA Tour. So, you know, see where he, where he's able to carry this forward. And more curious, it's just his second victory in the U.S. since the 2008 players. And for uh, an individual with all that talent who's been on the scene for so long to, uh, you know, really since, since 2008, I think he's got four worldwide titles in the PGA Tour and the should European Tour. It's a guy who, who should win more given, given all his talent. And this is a guy who's since sort of re-entering the top 30 in the world rankings in, in 2011. Just hasn't won that often, but he's got consistently high finishes. He's just not finding himself in the winner's circle. And you know, and you know what, too, too, guys, real quickly, is that you know, you know, Sergio is a, a guy. You talk about one of those polarizing guys. People either love him or hate him. You know, mostly Europeans love him and, and Americans hate him, kind of a thing. But whether you love him or hate him, golf is much, much, much better when Sergio is in the conversation, and it's not even particularly debatable. I think that we can agree on all on that. Uh, so, Jay, thank you much for taking time away from the Band and Dunes trip to, uh, to join us here this morning. Jay and Ryan Lavner are going to be covering the NCAAs, uh, women's and men's, uh, for the next 10 days. It's going to be great coverage on GolfChannel.com, so check that out. And uh, go get some sleep and, and try and wake Lavner up, I guess. All right, boys. Appreciate the time. Uh, go get them. See you on the other side. All right. Good talking to you, Jay. So as we said, uh, now that we're down to just the three of us here, we said earlier in the show, a momentous week in golf. And we're going to start with the vote Thursday morning at Muirfield, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers, a classy title if ever there was one. Uh, they, very, very narrow margin, but they decided not to allow female members for the first time. They needed two-thirds majority. They got 64%. So as a result, no women allowed as members at Muirfield, and the RNA very quickly responded by pulling Muirfield out of the Open Championship rota. We haven't seen... The tournament there since Phil Mickelson won in 2013. So I guess just just off the top, Nick, what are your thoughts on this, and how does it relate to past decisions that the RNA has had on, on similar social issues? I know the the immediate response was, well, what about Troon this year? Yes. Um, because you know women have their own women. club at Troon. Right. I guess the difference is they do have reciprocal rights. So it's it's not a you know apples to apples sort of comparison. What I'm much more intrigued by is what's gone on over the last call it six months to a year with Trump Turnberry. Um, when the RNA has been pressed on the subject of what they're going to do moving forward with Turnberry, they've always just sort of put it off and said, look, we have uh, open venues set up through 2021. We don't have to worry about this right now. We'll sort of cross that bridge when we come to it. Well, Muirfield wasn't booked in the open rota through 2021, but in this case, they did decide to be proactive about it and say, look, we're, we're not bringing the open championship to a venue that doesn't allow women. And what's interesting to me is that they would be proactive in the one sense and, and wait and see in the other, and I'm curious as to why that is. And now, at least, because they've taken some sort of action, it's, it's odd to me that they have to maybe justify this going forward as to what makes Muirfield different than Trump's place. Well, I think, I think Muirfield doesn't have a politician running for president. Right. Uh, that's my take on it, is that I think the wait-and-see approach with Trump Turnberry is wait-and-see until November. And then they, they will probably decide, based on whether or not the property owner is the president of the United States. And, you know, maybe it's CRNA. I don't speak for them. Maybe they have a different plan of action. But from a 30,000-foot view, that seems to be that how their strategy regarding that property. But, but certainly Muirfield, Mercer, they were much quicker. That came out minutes later they had that release. That demanded an immediate decision. I mean, there was, there was a lot of external pressure, people within the golf world especially, waiting to see how the RNA would react. And to do it so quickly, that was a great move by them. And I, I think the, 
you know, the, the person who probably said it best is the O2 champion there, Ernie Els, who said, you know, basically, you know, Muirfield can do what they want to do. They're a private club. That's what they want to do. So be it. Let them have at it. But the RNA has the right to do what they want to do, and they made the proper move by, by saying that no future opens will be held at Muirfield. So, you know, gotta, they were both sides. You've got to think that they're going to figure this out, right? In a couple years, right. that, that that's they're going to have another vote. Yes. That, that this probably won't cost Muirfield a, a spot in the rotation. That maybe eight, ten years from now, once they have another yeah. vote, they'll probably get the turn. Yeah, when you're that close to the two-thirds majority to begin with, those 64 percent, so they're, they're right there to begin with. Things are going to happen over the next couple of years. It, it's going to pass eventually. I would imagine you'll see the open again at Muirfield. And when the margin is that small, now that you sort of have a public consequence that, oh, the, we're no longer in the rota, you can think that maybe a few minds, and they probably only need a few more minds to get changed to get that two-thirds majority. So it's likely coming. Well, Thursday was a big news day because on top of this vote, we also saw Phil Mickelson in the news despite not hitting a golf shot, uh, named as a relief defendant in a, in a procedure from the Securities and Exchange Commission. You never really want to pop up on their speed dial, yes. but Mickelson has... Uh, so not criminal charges, but it's in a civil lawsuit which basically says that he benefited from the insider trading of others, specifically a sports gambler, Billy Walters. And, and Mickelson's going to have to pay back over a million dollars to the government from profits plus interest uh, based on a, a 2012 stock trade. So as we said, not, not exactly the headlines Mickelson was looking for. Hopefully, I think he, from his perspective, he'll be able to put it behind him after writing the check. But uh, it's not ideal. No, no, and what Mickelson's next ought to be Memorial. Memorial yeah. So, you know, he's going to have to answer questions when he gets there about it. I'm sure he's not going to talk too much about it, and he'll say he felt vindicated, which is what mm -hmm. his attorney said. And, I mean, that's, you know. That's you always feel vindicated when you have to cut a million dollar check. <laughs> right. And as you wrote, <laughs> Double commas, boys. As you wrote in Monday Scramble, he probably would have paid the million dollars way ahead of time go away. just to make it go away. So, you know, it, even if there are consequences with the PJ Tour, we're never going to know about it because they're not going to release anything. So, uh, you know, you're not going to see any kind of suspension. Uh, I don't believe anything like that. Uh, if if he pays, pays a fine, you know, what's that to him? I still think that if, I mean, I think it's unlikely that he'll be suspended, but it's something that we would notice. I mean, he's a guy that's oh, yeah, a full-time yeah. player. You know, I don't, I don't see if he's, he's starts suddenly not on tour yes, for three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I you wouldn't I don't see any jet ski accidents for, no. <laughs> for Mickelson coming up here. No, so, um, so. But do you think this is going to tarnish his legacy at all? He's 45, almost 46, five major titles. I can't see why it would. I mean, this has been hanging, hanging over his head for years now. I think he was, he was facing questions about this at multiple events just two years ago. Yeah, it's, it was a two-year investigation. Yeah, yeah, it's finally behind him, and it didn't do anything in the last two years to really markedly change the way any of us feel about Phil Mickelson, so I, I can't see why yeah. this would make a difference now. Mickelson is also so associated with gambling, with what he's done, just whether it's the Tuesday action games that he plays, the, the, the bets he makes, you know, in, in football. It's, it's tied into who he is, money yeah. and gambling and, and kind of just Phil being Phil is what a lot of people write it off as, so I, I can't see how this is going to tarnish his legacy. Tend to agree. All right, well, let's pivot forward. We got a couple of big events this week, including uh, the Dean and DeLuca Invitational. Everyone get get used to saying that it's not Colonial, it's not. No, just go D and D. We're going the D and D, the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Invitational. But I'm excited to go out to Colonial. This is my first time out at that course. I'm going to leave on Wednesday to cover the tournament. Uh, we also have the BMW PGA Championship, the flagship event of the European Tour, outside of London, the Senior PGA Championship up in Benton Harbor, Michigan, and then the LPGA is heading also to Michigan for the Volvic Championship. But circling back. To Colonial, we talked a lot about Spieth earlier in the show, and he's going to once again headline the field. It's also going to include uh, Adam Scott, Charles Schwartzel, Chris Kirk's defending champ. But what are you expecting out of Spieth? Anything different 
this week. I mean, he's in the middle of this stretch of four in a row, running right through Memorial. U.S. Open's going to be five out of six. So it's a busy stretch for Spieth. But can we expect him to find the swing that he was unable to find last week through four rounds in, in Dallas? Well, you know, if he didn't find it from the Masters to the players to to where he was last week at the Nelson, I don't expect him to find it from the Nelson to the Colonial for it to click that easily. But, you know, we keep seeing him in contention without that swing, like I said. So I would, I'd be surprised if he missed the cut. I'd expect him to be in there within that top ten area throughout the week. Um, but, you know, for him to win, it'd be great. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't see him winning this week. Now, just to piggyback off that, I know he didn't miss two cuts this year, but otherwise when he's made it to the weekend, he hasn't finished worse than a tie for 21st. Yeah. So you can bet that even with less than his A game, he's going to be in contention. The one point we didn't get to earlier that I, I do want to circle back to is Spieth when it comes to his attitude versus sort of some of the statistics I mentioned earlier is that bounce-back number. When he made crooked numbers last year, he was immediately bouncing back on the next hole with a birdie. You're not seeing that as often this year. He's, he's much further down the list in that bounce-back category. And I think maybe that's the, two, that's the way we can tie those two things together, that when he does get frustrated, he's not immediately answering with a birdie. And so that frustration gets compounded if he's making a par on the next hole and then maybe a, another bogey two holes later. We heard Rory talk a lot about that earlier this year, about yeah, letting one mistake impact lead him for, for lead to two or three. But... Uh, we shall see. One quick thing. We just showed the, the notables on the full screen there. I'm interested to see uh, young Bryson DeChambeau. Yes. Comes out T4 at Heritage in his pro debut. It's all unicorns and lollipops. <laughs> and uh, this is now three straight missed cuts for him. He missed the cut at the Nelson. Those sponsor exemptions are starting to dwindle. And I think that the, the pressure is starting to pivot yeah. towards him in terms of trying to make his number to either get status for this season, next season, probably at least in the web.com tour finals right now. But it's it's interesting how quickly the, the storyline can change with him. It is. You know, he had that, what, the, what he self-described as the internship. Well, once you turn pro, everything changes. No matter how much you prepared yourself, once you turn pro, the whole mindset changes. You feel the pressure. There's a lot of money that's involved. So, you know, you just, you can feel it. It's probably a weight on him right now that he didn't feel when he was still an amateur preparing to be a pro. Right. The, the internship was sort of consequence-free, and that's not the case now. And because he has such a limited number of sponsor starts, when you miss three cuts in a row, everything starts building. Yep. And so it's something you and I talked about even weeks ago, that if this doesn't work out, he's seriously going to have to consider what he wants to do about the Web.com tour and trying to get back to the PGA Tour next year, maybe via the Web.com route, if he can't make enough money to earn special temporary status or... Yeah. You know. well, I, he's, in, he's at least into the Web.com final, so he's going right. to have a, right. a four-tournament lottery ticket at the end of the year to, to try and play his way into the fall. But for now, we're going to see him at Colonial. We're going to see him next week at the Memorial as well. So he's got a chance to turn things around. But it's just interesting storyline to keep an eye on. Um, as we said, busy summer of golf coming up, including the Open Qualifying Series, yes. the Open Championship, which gets started this week uh, with the Mizuno Open. Basically, this is, this is a way that the Open is, is populating its field. It's a number of qualifiers across seven pro tournaments around the world in the coming weeks. Some of them offer four spots among guys not qualified who finish in the top 12. Other tournaments only have one spot available for a person that finishes in the top five. But this week, we're starting it off with the Mizuno Open in Japan, where four spots are available. Next week, there'll be one spot at the Nordea Masters in Sweden. But, uh, Nick, it's, just, it's interesting to see how the Open goes about filling the slots for its field. You know, each tournament goes about it differently. But this has been a way that, that the Open is seen as an international and a global event, and this is one way to ensure that they get a global field. Absolutely, and it's a chance for some of the guys who are bigger names who aren't already qualified via the, the official World Golf Ranking to sort of backdoor their way into this event. 
Um, there's three very prominent names who have been sort of European Ryder Cup stalwarts for years now who aren't currently qualified for the British Open this year. It's Ian Poulter, Graham McDowell, and Luke Donald. Luke Donald actually got into this event last year via the OPA qualifying series when he, with his finish at the Travelers Championship. So it's not just a matter of you know some lesser-named guys who you don't know about filling up the field to make it more international. Uh, there are some very prominent names who are going to need high finishes in these events over the next few weeks just to make sure that they have a spot in the field. Yeah, I think the qualifying series is a good thing. It encourages people to play on the European Tour if they need to get that spot. And also, for the American players, it's great. I mean, you can, you can play the St. Jude and have a chance to get into the Open Championship without having to travel across these just to try and qualify mm -hmm. and then come back. So, I, you know, we saw a lot of that years and years ago where players would have to go all the way over to Europe to try and qualify and then come back. So it's, uh, it, I think it's beneficial all around. Yeah, we've kind of seen it go both ways. You had the international qualifiers for a while, and then they had those qualifiers around these Texas events, yes. kind of in between and this, this 36 holes play in between the Nelson and the Colonial. Uh, I think this is a better way to do it, kind of spread it out. It, it adds intrigue to each of the tournaments of those seven in the series yeah. coming up. We should uh, mention this started even in November, right? I mean, the, the Open Qualifying Series actually Australia. starts in Australia and then takes a break for a while, and so this is the, the first time we've picked it back that's up That's how Westwood again. got in, so West, right, West, Westwood made through the qualifying That's series. absolutely what I was getting at. So we've already got some guys who are, who are getting in, and Westwood got in via Thailand. Mm -hmm. and yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's a global series, and uh, we're going to get some big names in. Still can't believe GMAC, Luke Donald, Ian Poulter. That, I mean, those, those could be your three Ryder Cup picks right there, and they're not yet booked Royal Troop. Yeah, so lots of We points. shall see. Uh, all right, before we close things out, uh, what's one thing that you guys are looking forward to this week? Nick, I will start with you. Get your whole pick here, the entire week of golf. No, it's Spieth. It's absolutely Spieth because we've seen Jason Day now go on a run of seven wins and 17 starts. We've seen Rory McIlroy just this weekend reassert his dominance, and, and everything was on the table for Jordan Spieth yesterday afternoon to get it done and, and prove why he belongs in this conversation as if he needs to reprove it. No, he doesn't. But he, <laughs> yeah. he does at some point need to find his game because he, he looks tired, he lost, he looks frustrated, he looks lost. And we're going to have to see if he can get his game back in gear to successfully defend his U.S. Open title. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the golf world this week, just as it was last week, but there's, there's nothing bigger than Spieth right now. I mean, just especially with Rory taking the week off and Jason Day's not competing this week. So, you know, is, is Spieth going to play better? Is he going to find his game? Is he going to settle down and enjoy himself? When you get there, is he, is he going to say the same thing over and over? I just need to settle down. I just need to calm down and enjoy it. You're going to write the same things over and over again. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Spieth's the story this week. Somewhere European tour chief Keith Pelly sheds a single tear. He has <laughs> half an hour in. We're not talking about Wentworth. We're not talking about the European tour's biggest event, which, by the way, will be missing Rory. And Justin Rose is also out with a back injury. But Rory deciding to skip weeks ago. But now after winning the Irish Open, his absence, I think, is going to be magnified uh, just the fact that he's not there but it's always a good field yeah. at a big event so uh, bonus question before we go are the Warriors done are they in trouble they're in trouble if Draymond Green gets suspended I don't know what he was thinking last <laughs> night and that's probably the second let's call it Chris Paul shot he's delivered to Steven Adams in two games yeah. <laughs> to, to go down 2 one you're gonna have to have another game on the road in Oklahoma City and you might be without your best defender yeah they're in trouble they're in trouble you're not in done yeah. trouble just in trouble all right it's threat level orange right now for <laughs> Golden State all right well, for Mercer, for Nick, for Jay Coffin out in Oregon, thanks for tuning in. I'm Will Gray. We'll see you next week for Monday Scramble.
NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Your entire life you've been told to save. But has anyone helped you figure out how to spend? With Fidelity Income Planning, get help creating a personalized plan for cash flow, even when you're not working. One that includes your 401k and all your other accounts. Make informed decisions that best fit your life ahead, whether one-on-one or through our planning tools. Learn more at fidelity.com slash income planning. Advisory services provided by Fidelity Personal and Workplace Advisors, LLC for a fee. Brokerage services by Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. 